Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, we have a follow-on from previous discussions where Claudio Ortolina has been talking about customizing Live Dashboard to create custom pages so that you can have aspects of your application being displayed there. And he's had a new blog post that comes out where he's showing how to tie different telemetry events into your application, showing graphs and showing information in that way. And one of the impressive aspects of this is how simple and direct it can be. So I consider it a testament to the foundation pieces that we have available in the Elixir and Phoenix space. So it's just worth checking out if you're interested in adding any custom stuff to your live dashboards. Also, a new little library we thought we'd throw in. It's still very experimental and hacky, but it's called T-E-E-X. It used to be called text, but they renamed it to T-E-E-X to avoid confusion. The goal here is to be able to use Elixir all over the system like you might use Python to do system scripting. It comes with a little command line tool to generate a little project, shims for your IEX session, and injects code pass of libraries into your install. So give it a check if you're interested. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, the cool thing there is that to run Elixir code, you, you ne- it needs to be in the context of a mixed project. So it's solving that problem for you. Also, a new library to highlight is called Ziggler. Uh, if you're in the habit of writing native code, which, by the way, I, I am not, so take it as you will. Uh, I just thought it was really interesting and worth a mention. If you're in the habit of writing native code like you would with Rust and Rustler, you might also check out Zig and Ziggler. With Ziggler, a difference is that you would write a Z sigil in your Elixir code, and inside of that would be Zig code that Ziggler would then compile and bind it to your Elixir code naturally. So it keeps you in Elixir as much as possible, really. I thought that was really interesting. Also interesting, and there's a video that illustrates this better than I can probably explain it, um, but there's a video also in the show notes that illustrates a scenario where that native code is leaking memory. And that is not detected by the beam because that memory is allocated outside of the beam, right, with malloc, for example. And since beam doesn't recognize the memory usage, it's not going to report that, you know, that there's a memory leak. And then also there's other complicating things that can happen. Zig has a beam memory allocator that ships with it, uh, which allows the beam to recognize the memory usage that's, that's being allocated even in native code outside of Elixir and Erlang code. I thought that was really, really neat. So there's a video that illustrates that. So uh, give it a shot. And uh, yeah, especially if you're in the habit of writing native code. And Erlang.org had a new blog post that kind of chronicled more of the history of Erlang and a performance, meaning like the high performance Erlang and the new Beam ASM. So what's really interesting is just kind of gives more of a overview and a little history, but then also ends with talking about the future. And some of the upcoming things like targeting ARM architectures for both the Raspberry Pi and for Apple's new silicon. So you can check out a link to that in the show notes. In last week's episode, we talked with Chris McCord and he mentioned a little bit about a new library called Surface. They recently came out with a 0.1 release and a 0.1.1. Give that a look. Also in the news, uh, business news, really, that Discord is closing a funding round. What's notable about this is that Discord, a uh, popular messaging and voice chat uh, application, it's close to closing a new round of financing that would value the company at up to $7 billion. That's, that's absurd. That's amazing, though, because they, they're also using Elixir. So a lot of folks would ask, you know, what big companies are using Elixir? Well, Discord is one of them. And they have several blog posts uh, that describe their their system and the challenges that they faced and how they solve that with, with Elixir. So they're doing really impressive stuff. It's wonderful that their work is being valued at $7 billion. I can't even imagine that number. <laughs> so much money. So congratulations, Discord. So one of the things that I think is just worth mentioning about that is sometimes people, when they're kind of checking out new technologies, like, well, who who's using this that's like actually big, that's successful, that's making a lot of money? So this is one of those where you can kind of point to and say, you know, there are big successful companies using Elixir. And this is one of them. This was previously highlighted in the Elixir Lang website, it has case studies. And there is a case study for Discord that we've covered previously. So you can check out that where they talk about some of the specific things that they're doing there and how Elixir has really been instrumental for them. Yeah, I think $7 billion definitely qualifies as successful. And lastly, Dashbit has a new blog post about compiling your code and tests with a compiler flag to consider warnings as errors. Now, 
you're thinking, oh, well, I already know about that. I, you know, there's the mix compile dash dash warnings as errors, which is true and is really helpful if you're running your code in a CI so that you can have it fail the CI if someone has left in some things that are generating warnings. What hasn't been there is the ability to fail a CI build when there are warnings in test code, in your test EXS files. So Voitech Mock goes through some showing how we can configure it to make it so that we'll get failures on those as well, which just helps keep our code base clean. So when we're running our test, we don't accidentally introduce errors and warnings into uh, test output. And just to clarify, this isn't adding anything new to Elixir. It's just helping surface some of the things that are already there that we can use to further improve our CI processes. And that's it for the news. Today, I'm really excited to have our special guest join us, Marlis Saraiva. Marlis is quite prominent and known in the Elixir community. He's kind of the guy that was behind Broadway, and he presented about that at 2019 ElixirConf. And he's also been working on some interesting things, uh, one of which is the Surface Library, which we'll get into in a minute, and also working along with Elixir Sense and Elixir LS, which if you're developing with Elixir and you're using any of those that tooling, you are a beneficiary of. So we are really glad to have you here. Thanks, and welcome to the show. Uh, hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here sharing some of my thoughts with you all. Well, before we jump into all the really cool stuff that you've been working on, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you live and what kind of work you're doing. So I live in Brazil, and I've been working with soft development for more than 20 years now. Currently, I'm working uh, at Dashbit with this amazing team. I'm really excited about the things we've been doing for the Elixir community in the last uh, couple of years. Yeah, so I think Dashbit doesn't have a huge number of employees, right? So uh, how many are there? Me, Josephine, uh Wojtek, and more recently, uh, Philippe uh, Sampaio. So it's a very small team. I can imagine being a very productive team, like with that cluster of guys. I think it's, that's really cool. Yeah. You, you probably know at least one of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a very autonomous team. I mean, we have weekly uh, meetings where we share what we've done in the weekend. We plan what we're doing the next week. And it's a great team. It's, it's a really great place to work. I mean, I'm, I'm really happy to be there. How long have you been working with Jose then? Uh, about two years now. Yeah, since Platform Attack and now with Dashbeat. I'm curious what languages you might have had experience with before coming to Elixir. Oh, uh, wow. I mean, in this 20-something years, at least, uh, I mean, in the last 15, right, the main languages were Java, uh, Ruby, and Perl. And, but before that, C++, Delphi, Pascal, PHP, a bunch of other stuff, but... Uh, Basically, almost everything that was mainstream at the time. <laughs> so a lot of object-oriented stuff. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned Perl. Usually folks don't say, like, I was writing Perl. You know, like, it's it's like Bash, right? Folks folks write Bash, but they don't list it as one of those things that they program in, even though, like... I, I, it's true, but, I mean, I mean, Perl was an important language for me because I, I actually didn't... Ch- choose to to work with Perl, but I was hired by <laughs> yeah I was hired uh, by a company as a Java developer and they wanted uh, uh, someone with experience in Java to refactor the whole system they had in Perl using uh, like things we were doing in Java like a bunch of uh, design patterns that we were using back then so I, it, it was a great experience for me because uh, in Java there was so uh, much that was so hard to do uh, some things like manipulating files, strings, and arrays, and hash maps. There was so many, there was a lot of bureaucracy to do that stuff. And I went to Perl and it was, wow, there is an easy way to do stuff. And I think it was was great in that sense that I, I kind of had Java. It was this really strict uh, environment and everything has a design pattern. And if you want to open a file, you need to initialize three, four objects. <laughs> and then in Perl, just like one line, you read the file, you split it in an array and you do a bunch of other stuff and regular expressions. So it was a good experience, in my opinion. 
this is this is actually great uh, to hear this because I'm putting pieces together in my head now. This actually explains to me a lot of why Broadway is maybe the way it is. Just to open up what Broadway is, in case everyone that no one knows what that is, Broadway is a library uh, developed by by you, right, Marlis, uh, and and yeah. others, I'm sure. Okay, yeah, sure. Josiah, it was Josiah's idea, and I think I I always say that I did the easy part, and he he, he did the the difficult parts. Well, you made it. Why don't you explain it? You probably can explain it a lot better than I can. <laughs> The idea was, uh, it was the first project I had. I think uh, I was at Platform Attack for a couple of months and Jose said, okay, Marlos, I have a project for you. I have been watching the community and there is this urge for a library that can do data ingestion and processing. A, a lot of our clients were, were, were trying to do this and they were going through the same mistakes over and over. And then Jose said, okay, I think we should invest time in this. Uh, what do you think about it? And I say, yeah, yeah, let's do it. I, I like the idea. I, I think it's going to be great for the community. And then we start uh, the, the, the project and it was a really successful project. I'm really proud of being part of it. And so Broadway, in a basic sense, is a convention and library to help manage data processing in a distributed manner uh, with back pressure, uh, managing producers and consumers and some parameters around those things. And consumers could include things like RabbitMQ or Amazon SQS. And I think you have other adapters out there too, but those are the ones that I know yeah, of. Yeah, Kafka recently, which was by far the most complicated <laughs> one. Because, I mean, Broadway was just the first step, but then we had to create all the connectors. And uh, we created the SQLs first and then RabbitMQ, yeah, and then Kafka, was, I think was the last one. Kafka. Okay, so I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because this is where I'm starting to connect pieces now. So you have a, a background in Java and Kafka is very Java inspired. You know, at least at least in my head, it seems to be very prevalent. If you want to get to that level of data processing uh, and you're using Java, you... No, I, I mean, I, I left Java about more than 10 years ago. So Kafka <laughs> was not even a thing. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, well, mixing some of that, you know, that background then at least, and your experience with Perl, which just made it easier to to mess with things like on the file system and strings and streams, maybe that explains to me at least, <laughs> maybe I'm filling in too many holes here, of why Broadway is easier to use. It's it's very easy to use, and Elixir, I'm sure, helps with a lot of that too. And so I, I know that we're not really here to talk about Broadway, but I I did want to mention that because it's an important library to the ecosystem to me, at least very important. I love Broadway. It's like, like you said, like people keep on making the same mistakes of like consuming messages uh, too much, uh, you know, not enough back pressure, don't have the right controls or becomes overly complex. Graceful shutdown is one of my favorite uh, features because it's really hard to to implement. In developing Broadway and visualizing Broadway, that seems to have brought you to another library that we actually want to talk about today. Tell us about Surface. What is Surface? Surface actually came from the frustration I had when I tried to implement that dashboard for ElixirConf. I had the idea for the talk and then, okay, now I'm going to implement this uh, dashboard because it will, it's, it's a great opportunity to use three new technologies, which was Broadway, which we had just released for a couple of months. Uh, we have tel telemetry, which was also recently released, and we had live view. So I thought it was a great opportunity to get these three technologies together. So I, I started to develop the, the dashboard. And as I was trying to implement, I, I, I was frustrated to try to use this component model that LiveView was introducing on top of templates. You know, in Phoenix and many other uh, frameworks, you use templates to build pages, and they, the problem with templates is that they don't care about the structure of your code. So the problem comes when you're using HTML, and with LiveView, it's even worse because you have this structured HTML code, and now you're injecting components that are part of that code, and templates don't consider that. So everything is text. So they don't know the ranges of the node. They don't know if there's child nodes or attributes at all. They're just text. So it was really frustrating for me to try to... to I, I, was, I had experience with React before, 
it was really painful for me coming from React, where we, were, we had this component model and use it in, in Phoenix with the template model it was really complicated for me and really frustrating, especially to, to know about, I mean, I'm getting a component. What are the public API of this component? What, what are the required assigns? What should I pass to this component so it, this component can work properly? From that frustration, I say, okay, I think Live View, it's awesome. It's great. I really like the model, but the templating stuff, it's not the best thing to put a component model on top of it. So that's how I got the idea, trying to get some from the experience I had with React and try to come up with something that could get a bit of the best from both of the worlds. So that was the, the, the inspiration. And for listeners out there, I think uh, there's a talk that you gave in ElixirConf 2019 that really put this together. It was kind of a mind-blowing thing to me to see that visualized like that. Like, it's one thing to just know that that's what's happening in your head, but to actually see it happening like on a dashboard was pretty cool to me. And, and so to describe what, your, what I saw at ElixirConf, this was your, your talk, it was using Broadway to indicate when nodes were pulling down messages to consume them, processors to process things, and then asking for more work and seeing the queue decrease and seeing like al- almost like a dashboard, like if I'm in Star Trek, right? And I'm, I'm, I see all the lights on the dashboard right in front of me and they're just blinking, 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 right? Yeah. So I, get, I can see that happening in real time as the as the data you know pool is being consumed and processed and you know ag- exits the other side. So Broadway is the thing that was powering that, the consuming it. Surface was the thing that was letting you use Live View to effectively show that in a in an easier way using a React like syntax to define things like props and events, uh, clicks, you know, in your your Live View templates. How does telemetry fit into that? Oh, because I mean, the goal of the 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 talk was to to actually show how Broadway works. The thing is, I want to actually to have a visual image of, of how it's all the stages, all the stages are distributed, the processors, the producers, and the batchers, and how you can maybe identify bottlenecks in that pipeline. So basically, what I wanted to do is, okay, I, I can show the pipeline based on, I can show the topology of the pipeline, which will process those messages. And I want to make sure I'm actually configuring this pipeline efficiently. So I want to see where the bottlenecks. So uh, during the talk, I, I, I changed the number of messages. I changed the topology on the fly, also showing like graceful shutdowns. I mean, we stopped the, the pipeline and restarted the pipeline with new, new topology without losing any messages. So that was kind uh, that was a way to show off the, the, the features of Broadway. And Surface was just a, 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 like a, a side effect of this work. Uh, I implemented the first version in LiveView, and from those frustrations uh, of using component, I decided to create another one with a v- very early raw version of Surface. It was just an idea back then, and from that point on, uh, I showed Jose and I showed Chris in, in ElixirConf, and then okay, let's move on with this idea. And yeah, I, have, I had all support from Dashbit, Platform Attack back then, and now Dashbit to, to move on with that work. So that's what, how we, we got here so far. I was an early adopter of Surface. And because I was impressed with some of your work there, we'd gotten in touch. And I was like, excited about the idea. So, and you let us into, uh, me and my team, in as early adopters to, to start playing with that. Yeah. You've been working on this for a long time. Maybe you can give like a little bit of a snapshot of where it is today. So if someone were to come to the project today, what is it that they would find? So far, it's been amazing. I mean, a lot of people are starting to use it now because so far it was like just this experimental project. And I've been working since more than a year now, but it was a a big experiment. It was a big playground where I I just want to, to test some ideas and always sharing these ideas with Jose. And, and with Chris as well, and, and see how, how it could go. I mean, I, I wasn't sure if this was going to get anywhere. It's even too early to say that it will. 
I mean, web development is crazy, right? I mean, it changes all the time. But I'm really excited where we are right now. I mean, we have a lot of discussions on Slack. I mean, we have more people discussing it, more issues, more people opening PRs, and uh, submitting PRs and, and making contributions. So I think we, we're getting at the point where we're going to have some, a stable API. We have the, our first version ready. We're just waiting for the next version of LiveView to be released, which should be in the next few days, I believe. So we're going to have our first version out there. API is stable. It might change in the future. Of course, it's too early to, to say that it's never going to change, but we, we are getting a lot of feedback and this is what is important. And to describe what they would be putting into these templates, you know, like if you're unfamiliar with React or maybe Vue, what you would do is you would import some other file that represents a field or a button or a form, for example. That component is defined elsewhere, right? But then you customize it in the template, you know, that you're on right now. So for for example, you would open up an HTML tag, like open the angle bracket, markdown, you know, put your regular HTML class on there, your classes, uh, other HTML attributes. And then inside that tag, you can literally put in raw markdown. And that component will know to take the content of that tag and convert it into the read the markdown there and convert it into uh, HTML from there. And that's because the tag name of in your in surface's case it's hash markdown that component is read and it's and it and it does work on the stuff inside of that tag at, at compile time in this case and uh does things with it you know that's well that's one example and you can do that with yeah. a lot of stuff links live patch and even with with raw html i mean uh surface parses all the code so you get benefit even in html markup for instance if you're using classes and you can do we can avoid a lot of conditional code because you have syntactic sugar for classes and a bunch of other stuff events we also have syntactic sugar to use then we do we, we can do this because we parse all the code and we evaluate all the the structure to see if the structure is valid so we do a lot of compile time uh stuff so there's a it's not just about components because I mean, components is the main thing. I mean, it's, it's how you compose, right? Uh, your 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 code, but there are some other stuff. Uh, for instance, in, in in live view, you can make a silly mistake like forgetting to close a div, right? And what happens is that the browser can accept that. Visually, you, you can even not notice visually because the browser is accepting. There's no warning. There's nothing. And but for live view, it's going to be very complicated because now the scope of the component that is mapped in the server, it's not the same. It's not what live view expects. So it's just going to mess everything because the the amount of the, the elements that are going to be patched in the DOM is not going to be the elements you expect. So this is kind of silly mistakes you can make in HTML that Surface can help a lot to prevent because it's going to check the syntax, it's going to check some attributes and some other stuff. So it's a better model for large applications. So who would you say that this uh, Surface is for? Like, is it for like the front-end developer who's very comfortable with React or Vue.js and they're coming to Elixir and it's like, hey, here is a, a component model that fits more the way you think about things? Is it like for that kind of a developer? Or who would you say is like a really good candidate for a user of this? Surface is perfect for anyone who's kind of fed up with all the complexity that we, is required today to build more than modern uh, web applications. I mean, sure, if you come from React, it's going to be a, a more similar model or, or any other library similar to like Vue.js or whatever. But I don't think there's any particular target audience. I mean, it's just like, I mean, if you feel frustrated, if you think there's too much complexity today to develop simple things, especially on the front end, I think you, you, you could give Surface a try. I mean, you can even start with LiveView. And if you like working with templates, it's totally fine. I mean, LiveView is awesome. If you like working with templates, I think it's awesome. But for me, I, th I think it has a lot to do with my experience. I mean, I, I, I worked mostly in my career developing large systems, enterprise systems. I have the feeling that most of the systems that are being developed right now are like systems that you can replace in six months. 
right? And that's why you can choose whatever technology you want, and then you can just replace it in six months. But 10 years, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when you created something, a, a large system, you have to maintain it for 10, 15 years. You cannot just throw it away because it's large. So you need to, you, you can't change all the time. You, you need to, to just settle down with some technology that just works and it stopped to get more complex with the time. And that's, I think, what's happening right now in the front end is just getting more complex. And this complexity is just like hidden, right? Because you see it's even React. I mean, you look at React, it's, it's, it looks it's simple, but it's not. I mean, under the hood, it's extremely complex. The whole thing, React, Redux, and the whole thing, it's much, it's complex, in my opinion. That's why people complain that they just, they want to create a Hello World React and they already have like node models with hundreds of megabytes or whatever. So I think we just need to take a step back when it comes to front-end development and try to some new ideas. So that's, that's where I am right now. I want to get back a little bit where we were at least a decade ago. I mean, we didn't even have the concept of front-end developer right? You're a developer, you know to do the whole thing. Now you, you need to separate because it got so complex that it's impossible for it to, to keep up with all that stuff. So what I'm trying to, to do with Surf is to take this step back and try to, to build something on top of something that I believe can be a better approach. It's too early to say that it's going to work like expected. We still have a lot of things to do, but we have to try at least. I really like hearing your perspective on, you know, having worked on systems for, you know, large mature systems that have like enterprise size stuff that that sits around for like a decade and it has business value. It's too complex to be replaced. I have a lot of my background of my work has been on those kinds of systems as opposed to like I have friends, you know, who are more of the consultancy or like agency work where it's like, hey, we have a project six months it's gone. We don't, we don't touch it again unless maybe we come back and update some things. So it's a very different mindset. I like hearing that you're have, coming from that perspective of, I want to build something that can last and be stable and help simplify. So my question, I guess, is having worked on Surface and as a user of it, what is your favorite thing about Surface? For me, uh, the best thing was Surface gave me the opportunity to explore those new ideas that we just talked about. It's too unpredictable, right? Web development got too unpredictable. It's not like backend development. Usually lasts much longer. As I told you, I, we still have a long way to go. But the important thing for me is that we are trying to rethink the way we do things. I mean, we are not satisfied with the, the path web development took in a sense of stability for large systems. I mean, I'm not happy. And I think the, the my favorite thing in Surface is that it's still this playground when we are accepting ideas. We have no, I mean, we don't want to get rid of JavaScript at all. JavaScript is important. It's there. It's, uh, it's the, probably the, the, the main language in the world today. But uh, I, I used to develop uh, with uh, embedded device, right? And in embedded device, usually you have this higher level language. And then sometimes you need to go on a low level to do something specific, right? I mean, I just want to get back to this. I mean, I, I want to use a higher level language and I just want to consider JavaScript as this low level language to talk with the browser. So it's like this embedded language that I just need if I want to talk to the browser. If I don't want to talk to the browser, if I want to, to have logic, business logic, I need to do this on the server because it's close to the data. I don't have to care about serialization, deserialization, a bunch of other stuff. So it's much easier to have things on the server. And of course, it's not going to be possible all the time, but by no means it should be like it is right now. It's about like the historical path that it took. I mean, you remember I mean, JavaScript was created to be this really simple, familiar language, right? At the beginning, just like to show a message or get a confirmation, validate a couple of form fields. But then we realized that we could do better stuff. I mean, more interactive stuff for the users. So we start doing some workarounds like using hidden frames to retrieve information from the server. And then we updated the DOM on the fly so we don't have to reload the page because it was like a bad experience. And then came Ajax. 
And then, wow, that was great. Now you can bring data easily from the server. And I think that was the point when things got tricky. And we didn't realize that we would get where we are right now because we just start getting things from the server and bringing more logic to the client. And we were happy with that. And we didn't realize that we were doing something wrong because now you have so much JS code on a client that it's even impossible to maintain. Now you need to have package managers, bundlers. You need to have a bunch of other 20 tools to make the whole thing work. Why? Just because we brought too many logic to the client. So we need to take this step back, in my opinion. Well, that sounds like a really big mission and uh, aspiration. <laughs> <Yeah>. so. <laughs> it's like the impossible mission, I, I, I'm afraid, but <laughs> we need to try. <laughs> I agree. You know, we do have this, it, it's very common in tech that with their cycles, like it kind of like the pendulum swings, right? It goes like all the way to server side, and then it starts to swing back to client. And we've been through that with client server design, like in the 90s, yep. which is like even pre web kind of stuff. It's like, it, it keeps going, we keep having this cycle. And we keep finding like, when we push too far, we end up getting all these unintended consequences, these complications, then we start to swing back. And I think it's a, a healthy process. So if people are interested in jumping in and helping out with Surface, are you looking for contributions? Or kind of what's the next step there? It sounds like you're getting very close to a, a big release. Yeah, I mean, the, as I told you, the, we are at release candidate two right now. We are just waiting for the new version of, of, of LiveView because there are some, there were some changes in the API from LiveView, and we're only going to be compatible with this new version. So we're not going to be compatible with older versions. So we have to wait until LiveView is out, and then we're going to have our first version. And from that on, there's still a lot of things that we are working on, and we want to do. So currently, there's a lot of discussion. There's still a lot of things that we want to do. Uh, we have uh, scoped CSS styles. That's something that people are want us to do something about it. Uh, we have already a proof of concept. I'm stretching this to a new project so people can give it a try. I'm not sure if this will get to the core, but at least if it's a separate uh, library, it's maybe it's going to help a few people. So uh, state management, I think it's another area that we can explore a lot because... We have gen servers. We have uh, we've been working already with a functional language. We have PubSub. Everything out of the box in in Elixir, right? So I think we are in a much better position to try something new than any other framework using other languages. If you take React, for instance, and, and Redux, they try to bring this functional reactive approach to the front end, but they didn't even have a had a functional language, right? There was no immutable data structures by default in JavaScript. They didn't even have a, a proper standard library in JavaScript. So can you imagine, I mean, how insane is the amount of complexity that they needed to deal with to achieve these things that we just have for free in Erlang and Elixir, right? So I think we are in a better position to try something new because things are just easier to do. I mean, working with this functional approach is much easier in Elixir and Erlang. So I think state manager is an area that we can explore a lot and maybe it comes some novel ideas. That's something that I, I think we should explore in Surface and I, I think in Live View in general. As you can see, there's a lot of things to do and we are not satisfied yet. I think it, I, I'm still going to be talking to you guys <laughs> for a few months about new stuff. We, we are creating now something similar to... Uh, to the storyboard that they have in React, which is like this. It's going to work similar to, to the live dashboard. So you have a project and then you can attach this other lib and then you're going to have uh, something like a, a dashboard, but it's, actually it's a catalog. It's a catalog of all the components uh, you have available in your project or any project that you are importing. And you can see all the public API of each component, which events slots, documentation, you can see examples, and we are trying to work on something called the playground, which is similar to a storyboard. So you can have your component and just can play with the properties, set a different value, see how they react. We can trace the events. Yeah, there's 
there's a lot of things we're trying to do. You mentioned state management on service on surface. I know that that's probably all server side, but I know that that's also a sore spot on the front end side too. And one of the reasons why I use Alpine JS is to do things like dropdowns that that has no good reason to go back to the back end to you know to control that. I'm curious what that story could evolve, you know, and what your thoughts are on there. I, I think when I was talking about state management, I was kind of talking about the kind of state that Redux does today. With AlpineJS, it's really nice to have this, you, you can have a state in your component to do this minor uh, things, which I think it's great. It's perfect, right? You don't have to care about anything like Redux to do such a small thing like open a menu and close the menu and stuff like this. But when I, uh, I was talking about state manage in a way that this as I said before, we brought a lot of logic to the to the client, right? Which I think was a mistake to bring that much of logic. And as soon as we start bringing that logic to the client, we needed to manage state, right? Because we are doing more things on the client. I think that's what the Redux was created because now you have to share that state between uh, among different components, and those components may be completely. Uh, separated in the tree, so it's hard to share that uh, that state. I'm not sure how AlpineJS can help with that. I don't think it's probably the, the best tool for that. But I think with LiveView and Phoenix in general, we can maybe have a, an easier approach that Redux because we already have PubSub, we already have gem servers, we have a lot of that, all that knowledge from the last decades that the people from Erlang gave us all that knowledge. I think we can use it and maybe try to do a, uh, try a different approach. So that, that was more in the sense, it was not about the state like in the menu or open uh, a model window or stuff like this. I'm generally speaking about the, like the view state as a general when, when for complex stuff, like you have a dashboard, the dashboard has data that's coming from a pub subsystem, and then you need to update different components, but those components are completely in separated live views, maybe. How do you share that state? And how you do this without ceremony, right? I think now we have a little bit of ceremony. You need to add to, to just subscribe to the pub sub on a live view. But then if you are in a component, you need to make that data come to the component. You can pass it as properties, but then you can have prop drilling until then. So there's some things that we may do in this direction. Nothing concrete yet, but I think we, we could. I mean, I, I tried to, to do this a couple of times and I, I thought there was a bit of ceremony. Because components cannot subscribe to, to pub subs, right? I need to do this in a live view. And if it's components deep down in the tree, it might get a little bit tricky or we could come up with something different. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> well, as you advance and keep going with that, I know we'll be letting people know in the news. And uh, we'll have to have you come back on and share more about that journey and, and things you're learning in that process. But before our time runs out with you, because we can't take all of your day, I really wanted to be able to talk about Elixir LS and Elixir Sense, because these are two tools that I mean, we kind of just conceptually bundle them together and just talk about Elixir LS and saying, oh, well, I use Elixir LS to give me code completion insight so I can hover over and see my docs in my editor. I'm using VS Code. So I know Elixir LS was not started by you. It was started some time ago by uh, Jake Becker. Uh, so how did you come to the project? I started with Elixir about six years ago. I was a very early adopter. Back then, there was no good tooling for, for Elixir. Of course, it was a very new language. And as I started to work with it, I, I really missed some of the things that I had in some of the languages I worked before. And I was kind of traumatized by Ruby because Ruby was very known by having the worst experience ever when it comes to editor, right? I mean, they. I don't know how, how it is today, but 10 years ago was pretty messy. I mean, the editor didn't help you anything. So I, I thought I could do something to improve that in Elixir. And then I started, uh, I created a plugin for Atom, which was the editor I was using uh, at the time. And I started to, to, to develop something that could provide some context or information. So there was a, a project was, uh, I think was... Alchemist or something by Samuel Tonini, I believe, that had 
uh, autocomplete, but there was no context aware. I mean, if you have an alias or an imported function, it wouldn't work. Uh, it's not available, right? I mean, when you're an editor, unlike when you are in an Elixir uh, console, which has an environment when you can introspect information in an editor, you don't have it. The only way to do that is actually parsing the files. So what I had to do was to, I had to create an Elixir parser. So I can extract all the information I needed, all the information about aliases, imports, um, module uh, attributes, functions, arguments, everything. So I end up creating this really large Elixir parser so we can provide this. Then I extracted this work from the Atom plugin and created Elixir Science so other editors could make use of it because that was something that was missing back then. I think almost every editor uses under the hood, I believe. So you created the library Elixir Sense. You extracted that out of all the work you'd done in Atom. So what is the relationship between Elixir Sense and Elixir LS? Which one is doing what part of the work? Elixir Sense is, uh, is just a library. It doesn't even hold state. So it's a, it's a functional library. Just you send information, you receive a result. It's meant to be this way. So the other servers, actual servers can use it as a library to, re- to retrieve that information from your code. So Elixir LS use it. it There's other uh, servers that use it, but I think Elixir LS is like the largest. It's used by VS Code and there's implementation for a bunch of other editors. I know uh, Vim and Emacs are also yeah. able to use that. And, and Elixir Senses just make that part, but which is a, which is a very important part for the experience. When is it that you have to come back in and do something to Elixir Sense? Is that like, because I know you've done some recent work around Ecto schemas, making those have better intelligence. Is that part of Elixir Sense? That's part of Elixir Sense. And that was actually, uh, it took much longer than I thought because I took the opportunity to refactor the whole way that we were doing autocomplete. Because at that point, when I was trying to add Actor stuff, it was like a lot of work. There was no well-defined API to add additional suggestions. So I refactored the whole thing and create something which is called like uh, Elixir Science plugins. So with plugins, you can actually have a, a way to add additional suggestions or override existing ones to customize the way suggestions work based on that information. So Elixir Science has all this information which is context-aware. I mean, uh, it, it knows the line you are, what are the aliases, everything you have, uh, variables. So you can create plugins now to do this. We are not yet allowing third-party plugins because, I mean, it's we, we need to... You can crash your editor if you do something wrong there. So so we, we created the only one, which was for Actor, which I think was probably one of the most important ones. And it was a great challenge because you have this query language, right? I mean, the DSL, and you can compose queries. And it took a lot of work, but I I was really happy with the results. Current, I'm working on another plugin, which is for Surface. So very soon, we're going to have the second one. So you can make use of it pretty soon, I hope. (laughs) That's great. I know I have really enjoyed some of those Ecto improvements. Because, you know, I think as most of us doing web app development, you know, we're dealing with schemas a lot, either because we're just, you know, taking data in from a form and we're using an embedded schema there to validate and clean stuff up or we're talking to our database. And it's just really nice to have that extra little help from the editor. Uh, Thank you for your work there. I appreciate that. No, you're welcome. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it because it was a lot of work. So (laughs) I'm really happy (laughs) someone liked it. (laughs) There's more to come, but... uh... Elixir Sense is not an easy project to maintain because, I mean, it's very sensitive to change in the language. We need to keep compatibility with different versions of Elixir. It's really hard to maintain. So I'm really glad that we have a core contributor, which is Lucas Samson, which is doing most of the work right now in maintaining and creating new features. I mean, I, I, I would have probably dropped that project if I did have help from from Lucas, I believe. Are you looking for contributions or for people to come and help out? And if so, in what ways could they be of a help? I mean, the problem of Elixir Science is that because it's this project that most people need, but they don't know about it, right? So 
if, if they want something, they're not going to ask in Elixir Science. They're going to ask in VS Code plugin or whatever. So we don't get much contributions. Uh, as I told them, I mean, most of uh, the code is maintained by me and Lucas. We get some contributions from, from JSON, Excel, Son as well, which is one of the maintainers of the Elixir LS and very helpful and, and very important for, for, for the ecosystem as well. Everybody wants to have a good editor with good capabilities, but nobody wants to help because I think it's not, it's probably not as glamorous as working in, I don't know, Phoenix or Acto or whatever. But I have the feeling that this is important and that's why I take the time, mostly my spare time. Elixisense was developed completely on my, on my spare time. Now I can maintain for parts of the code at Dashbit, which is great. The Acto plugin was, was done uh, at Dashbit. So it's great that I, I have this time now to do this. I, th- I think there's hope that the project is going to get more attention when we drop uh, support for with lower versions than 1.10. Because from 1.10 on, we have the compiler tracer that was introduced in Elixir that will make our lives much easier. Because as I told you, we had to create this parser. And the parser is very sensitive because if there are changes in the language, we need to change the parser. But now we have the compiler tracer. So all the information that we are gathering using our parser, we can replace it with the compiler tracer. We're going to reduce a lot the amount of code we have in Sense, but we need to drop support for any Elixir version lower than 1.10. So I'm really hoping to get to that point. If depending on me, I would say just, you know, let's get rid of all that stuff. And But I think it's not the right time. Maybe in the next Elixir version is ready. Maybe we, we can we can do this. And it would be great. I mean, we, we would be able to have more features. It would be more stable because it's going to be much more integrated with Elixir itself. Today, we have to use parts of the private API to get things done. And we don't want to do this. That that makes it much harder to, to maintain. And I believe as soon as we have the tracer, when we start using the tracer, we're going to be able to add more feature and get more contributors. That's interesting. I didn't realize that the tracer would have such an impact for you guys and what you're doing. That's neat. So it sounds like you're you're doing a lot of your own personal time and then you're getting some opportunities to use like Ecto and things like that, the work you did there as being sponsored time. I just wonder if there's anything you want to say about uh, open source development and the efforts there. And it sounds like there are opportunities like, you know, the project could use more support, either people, testers, or I don't know, are you looking for financial support? What do you kind of need there? I mean, in case of Elixir Science, I'm not even the owner of the project anymore. So <laughs> a couple of years ago, uh, Jason reached out to me and asked, look, Miles, I can see you're not being able to maintain the project. Uh, what do you think about uh, moving the project to, we created a new organization uh, on GitHub so we can try to, to get more contributions. So what do you think about moving the project? And I said, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I created a project so people can use it. I wasn't able to, to maintain the project properly back then, so I thought it was a great idea. So I moved the, the, the project to the organization. So it's under the Elixir language server protocol, I think it's called. It's under the umbrella now. And I think that's the organization that people should look into and maybe trying to sponsor because they are, great, they are doing this amazing job of maintaining all those projects there are i think at least four or five projects to to maintain it takes a lot of work you have to maintain the the vs code package and then elixir language server and then you have elixir sense we have a bunch of projects that are important for the community and i think since people are not interested in, in helping with the code right in pushing pull requests elixir language server gets more attention definitely because i mean it's it's closer to the user, right? I mean, something goes wrong, but if you want a new feature, that's where you're looking at. Elixir Sense is more under the hood, so it's, it's really less known. But in, in anyway, I, I think what, what matters is the, the ecosystem, right? And the right place to help, it's, it's in their organization. I don't know. I mean, I, I think there was some recent discussion about this, about sponsorship. Maybe you should bring that back to the table. Maybe it's, it's worth it. Maybe it's not. I'm not sure. But maybe you should bring that 
back to the table and try to 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 get more attention for the Elixir community. Maybe with more support from the community, we can make those tools even better because even though we have put a lot of work on them, it's not our main job. So all of us that are working on Elixir LS and Elixir Science, it's just like mostly our spare time. So it's it's not much that we can do. So maybe getting some some support, some financial support would be good for the ecosystem. We could maybe hire somebody to keep maintaining and adding new features. But I don't know. I mean, this is we, we it's something that I, I would like to 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 get back to the table and talk to Jason about it. I don't know. Maybe maybe he he's already have an answer for that. Yeah, that's interesting. I I don't think that GitHub has a way to sponsor an organization, do they? I know you can sponsor a person. I don't know if I've ever seen an org with a sponsor button on it. I'm I'm sure there's a million ways to do it, but I just never thought of it like that. But for you, dear listener, that's uh, you check the show notes. There's a link to that. It's Elixir-LSP is the organization, which has the umbrella organization for the different projects. So I know I appreciate the work that you and the other members of that group are doing. Jason Axelson, he's uh, recently did the DepthViz tool that came yeah, out, and awesome, we talked yeah. about that. So there's a lot of great stuff and cool things happening, and then we're all benefiting from. So I appreciate your efforts and your work and everyone else's work. Marlis, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this insight and your experience and this information so we can understand better who is working on the, some of the things behind what we depend on and the foundation pieces that make it so we can be working in Elixir and having a good experience in Surface, in Broadway, and in Elixir Sense with our editors. So if people want to follow you or get in touch with you online, what's the best way to do that? For Surface, we have the Surface channel at Slack which is getting more and more active. If you have features or issues you want to, to open for anything like a bug or even if you just feel free to use the GitHub. And yeah, that would be the, the main, or even the Elixir forum as well. If you have something to share, you can share there. There's a, a topic about Surface. There's always things about Broadway coming on the Elixir forum as well. Regarding Elixir, Elixir LS and Elixir Sense, definitely GitHub. Yeah, it's the right place to, to have any kind of discussion. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.